Good morning. Good to, see, good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 11 and 12. We're going to be looking at several scriptures this morning. Just want to remind you as we talk about the Bible that our summer Bible studies start this Tuesday. I know you've heard about it. You've seen it on video. Uh, but this Tuesday, our summer Bible studies begin both in Knoxville. There are four classes in Knoxville, four options. You can go to the website and find those three out here in Maryville. And we would love to have you be a part of those as we study the Word of God together. So let's begin in Exodus chapter 11. And we've come to the point in this story of the 10th plague. We've sort of fast-forwarded from last week through the first nine plagues. But in every story, every TV show, every movie, every book, there's a moment when you hit that turning point, the highlight, the watershed moment, or the reveal. There's a crescendo that's building, and you're getting to the point where you can say, I knew he was the bad guy. I knew you couldn't trust him. And, and this moment has come, it's a tipping point, and everything that the story has been about has now, the curtain has been pulled back, and the reveal has taken place. And that's what's happening in these chapters of 11 and 12 of Exodus. Nine times Moses has gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I will not let your people go. And you think, how many times can this happen? Are we going to just keep doing this 10 times, 12 times, 20 times? When's it going to end? The crescendo is building. And we're asking, what's the purpose of all this? What is the purpose? Where's, where's the reveal? When is it coming to the boiling point? And we realize that the 10th plague is the reveal. This is what it's all been moving for. And all of this has been about coming to these chapters, verse chapters 11 and 12. And the point of this reveal is going to point toward a greater reveal that will change the world forever. And let's begin reading in Exodus Chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So they've built up to this 10th plague. The moment has come. He says one more time, God's going to do this terrible thing and take the firstborn if you don't let them go. And Pharaoh says, I will not let them go. And we build to this moment when we ask the question, what's going on? 
What is God doing ultimately? And we begin to see, and I want to give you three things today that I think are extremely important as we look at this story and even look at our story today in our current situation. The first point is there is a universal purpose. And the universal purpose is to bring God's glory to the ends of the earth. Everything is God, God is doing and everything that God has always been doing has been about bringing glory to his name and spreading that glory to the ends of the earth. That's what God's doing. That's what he was doing here. That's what he's doing today in our world and in our life. There is more to the Exodus than just freeing slaves. God's vision and purpose are always much bigger and much broader. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in your family, whatever is going on in our nation and the other nations of the world is bigger than what we see. There's more behind the curtain. God is moving. He's positioning. He's repositioning. He's transitioning someone, something, raising up someone or someone's. Though Moses and Aaron, and through Moses and Aaron, God has commanded Pharaoh to let his people go, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart to not let the people go. This is very interesting. God is using and raised up Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. That's God's will. God did that. And then God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would say no when Moses asked. How about that? God's playing both sides of the equation. You see, there are things going on in our country and in your life and in your family and in your own heart that we do not realize what God is doing. And he is working and moving and doing things. And you and I would say, I wouldn't do it like that. That's not God. If it's doing it like, if God's saying no, that must not be God. If something bad is happening, that must not be God. And God brings the good and God brings the bad. Don't miss that. Why? to bring his glory to the ends of the earth. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. He's hardening the heart so that, look at this, Exodus eleven nine. we just read it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I've hardened his heart that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. I'm doing this for my glory. I'm doing this. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, not just Pharaoh, but the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Why? Say it with me that you may know that I am the Lord. That's why God does it. That's why he's doing it. And then he goes on. We could keep going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We won't. Exodus 9, verse 14, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is what? None like me in all the earth. 16, but for this purpose, this is the purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed where? In all the earth. 
Sounds so much like the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. Proclaim my name among the nations. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the entire earth. From the creation of human beings in the Garden of Eden, created in the image of God to the first command God gave those humans to be fruitful and multiply and scatter throughout the earth. Why? To make his glory known among the entire earth. It's what he's always been about. God wants to bring his glory to the ends of the earth. The exaltation, the magnification, the glorification of our great, one, true, and only God, making himself known in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this has been the issue since the Garden of Eden to this very moment. Who is going to be God in your life? and in our world. As a matter of fact, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And there it is. That is why you were created. That is why you exist. It's what God is showing Pharaoh. It's what God wants to show all of Egypt. And it's what God wants to show all the world. I, God says, I am the Lord God, and I want my name to be proclaimed and celebrated among all the peoples and languages and tribes of the earth. Many in our culture are struggling right now, and they're confused about their life, about their purpose, about their identity and meaning, anxiety and fear. They are struggling to find their place, how to get known, how to find a seat at the table, how to belong, how to gain more followers, how to fit in, how to become an influencer. And all of the focus begins to be on how do I glorify me and make my name known and famous. That's a dead end. and It doesn't have a good outcome. My friends, you find your identity and purpose in making God known. Bringing glory to his name wherever you are, whatever you do, wherever you go. That God's glory be the primary focus of your life and that all of the things that are happening and bringing and doing are pointed toward his glory. If you devote your life to that, you will live a fulfilled life and an amazing life, bringing glory to his name. This is the purpose. This is why you exist. You were created in his image to glorify his name among the entire earth. But we know there's something else. There's a practical reality. Yes, this universal principle or this universal uh, uh, belief that God is wanting to make himself known to the whole world, but we know that there is a battle. The practical reality is we are at war and there is a battle for his glory. There is a battle for his glory. From the Garden of Eden till today, there are many who are vying for the seat on the throne. Pharaoh thinks he is a god. The people of Egypt think he is a god. Throughout the Bible, Egypt has become synonymous with sin, the world, idolatry, separation from God. They are worship and worshiping created things, not the creator. When you worship things that are created, like stuff and our bodies and humanity and science and all of the things that become something that is created versus the creator, we creep into idolatry. The Egyptians were worshiping the Nile River. 
that gave them life, the sun that they thought gave them life, animals. And Yahweh, through these nine plagues, all of these nine uh, issues have something to do with the false gods that the Egyptians are worshiping. And Yahweh is showing that I am the supreme God over all of the gods that you are worshiping. There has always been a battle for God's glory in this world. From Satan, the great dragon in the Garden of Eden, deceiving the mind and the heart of Eve, to moving in the mind and the heart of Pharaoh to destroy and kill the male children in the hope, I believe, of eliminating Moses, the lawgiver, how the enemy knew that God was doing a new thing that we read a few weeks ago in Exodus 1 and 2. To the Babylonian, King Nebuchadnezzar, destroying Israel, hoping to kill and reculture the Jews. To Haman in the book of Esther, deceiving the Persian king Xerxes to destroy and eliminate the Jews. Why? Because the Messiah was coming through them. The devil knew that since the Garden of Eden. When God proclaimed it to Eve, to King Herod killing every male child under two years old when he heard the king of the Jews was born, to Judas being filled with, the, with Satan, betraying Jesus to be executed, and Roman Caesars killing the apostle Paul and Peter and James and others and the other apostles, to William Tyndall being killed in 1536 for translating the Bible into English so the common people could read it, to the 6,000 Christians being killed and who were killed in 2022, and the Christians who are being killed in Iran, North Korea, Afghanistan, and other places even today. Satan has the same plan he has had from the beginning, to try to extinguish God's plan by silencing or killing the people and plan of God, and he's been doing it from the beginning. It's what he's doing in our culture today, in America, silencing the people and the plan of God. But here's the good news, my friends. He cannot do it. Amen? He cannot do it. He has tried for millennium, and he has lost continually. Whatever the devil is doing in the world in our nation, and he is doing it, make no bones about it. He is doing it. He cannot thwart the plan and the purpose and the people of God. Moses was fighting against something much bigger than Pharaoh. Anybody who thinks Moses is fighting Pharaoh is missing the story. There's always someone behind the curtain. The wizard is always back there. I don't, does anybody even know that movie anymore? I don't know. You, you know her, brother, right? <laughs> but it's true. It's true. It looks like you're fighting Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but you're not. Moses was fighting something much bigger, and so are we today. Don't miss it. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not fight, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Any fight that you think you're having against flesh and blood, you are fighting the wrong enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Don't be deceived. We are fighting the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Now, when I said this in the first service, our feed went out on the website. <laughs> so we have people praying right now. Why? Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. I don't know if you've grasped that yet. Because there's a lot of yapping Christians these days talking about flesh and blood things. Well, if we could get this done and get this new person and get this leader, and if we could change this flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. It's not our enemy. There are spiritual forces going on behind everything that we're seeing today. Do you believe that and do you understand it? Have you ever looked at someone and tried to have a rational conversation and you realized in talking with this person that the opportunity to have a rational conversation with them was not possible? Something else is going on. I don't know if we know how to deal with this. The enemy has played a scientific intellectual game in America for so long, and he has been hidden. He likes to play the angel of light. He likes to stay behind the curtain. He doesn't want to wave his arms and be too supernaturally noticed because it could shake some things up and we might say, what the heck was that? But something's changed. The enemy has become emboldened. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The devil... And this is my opinion, and just in talking and sensing things, the devil has intensified with a slightly different strategy in our culture. Now, we all see it. We're all talking about it all the time. Flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. It's not the flesh and blood. The enemy has become emboldened. Different theories of why, but it has. And I want you to know that in this war and this battle for his glory, there are casualties of this war. Now, I just want to be honest with you because I don't know, I don't know that we always are okay with these conversations. I have them all the time, dealing with people who have, th th there are just things going on spiritually that are increasing and different than I've seen in my life. And I, I've lived a bit. But there are casualties. There's casualties in every war, right? We all celebrate the fact that God in his sovereign providential will miraculously saved Moses from being killed when Pharaoh made a decree against all Hebrew boys being killed. They floated him in a basket down the river. Pharaoh's daughter rescues him. Hallelujah, praise God. God is good. God is sovereign. But I want you to know that while we celebrate that God saved Moses, and we should, because his promises and his plans cannot be thwarted. Many baby boys died at that time. Hundreds of baby boys died. Fast forward to Jesus. Being born, King Herod, let's kill all the baby boys under the age of two to try to make sure. It's almost a precursor of what happened years ago with Moses. The lawgiver and the one who would fulfill the law comes, and every baby boy under the age of two, every Jewish baby boy under the age of two was slaughtered 
An angel comes to Mary and Joseph and take him to Egypt, ironically. Take him to Egypt where he'll be safe and Herod will not be able to find him. And while we celebrate the angel miraculously and providentially saving Jesus, the Messiah, for the day that he could be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, hundreds if not thousands of baby boys were killed as Satan tried to get to Jesus. There are casualties in this war. Even as you look at what's happening in our own culture, my friends, just think about it. Children are being hurt. Unborn children are being slaughtered. Oh, we're way too sophisticated for really... Nothing new under the sun. We have to care about that. There are refugees running from Ukraine, from the Sudan, from Nigeria, from Afghanistan. Going where? Running for safety, running for help. Many coming to America. Are we going to care for them? Are we going to show God's love to those who are running for their life and trying to just find a safe place to lay their head? There are casualties and people will be hurt. It's a war. And in a war, people get hurt. Here's the takeaway. I want you to... Sear into your hearts and minds. You see, something happened here. Culture seduces and enslaves us. Now, I want to do something here that I... I don't always like to do when I'm teaching the Bible because there's some conjecture here because the, I'm going to say some things that the Bible doesn't say, but can we, can we just call this, can we just have a conversation for a few minutes? Is everybody okay with that? I just need permission. I just really need one of you to shake your head yes, and I, I don't really. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> I'll take it. Now, I, 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 I do this a lot when I'm studying the Bible, so I just, I just want to do this with you. So this is my thought process, and you may think, oh, man, maybe he's got some struggles, but why are they still in Egypt? I started asking, why are they still there? 2100 B.C., 2,100 B.C., God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a, a father of many nations, and I'm going to give you a promised land. He has Isaac. He has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is out of jealousy, sold into slavery. He ends up by God's providence, the second in command in Egypt. Because God's going to use him to save the lives of his own people because there's going to be a famine. He saves the Egyptians' lives because of his strategic, wise, godly plan. But ultimately, it was to save the Hebrew people. God's always about saving his people. The Messiah's got to come. Well, this famine was seven years. I'm just wondering why after the seven years of famine, they come to Egypt. It's like coming to the city because there's food. Why after seven years did they not say, you know what? It's time to head to the promised land God has promised us. But they didn't. And what eventually happens is in that pagan foreign culture land, they eventually become what? Slaves. And to me, there it is. Culture, pagan, worldly, satanic culture, seduces and enslaves. 
Now, I know God is sovereign and everything is according to his timing. And Moses had, of course, this is 700 years later from when God called Abraham. But there's a great lesson, I think, that's worth discussing. And I don't think it's anti-scripture. But the world, the culture can do that. You see, we get comfortable in the worldly culture. We blend in. We take on its worldview. We start believing the little slogans that get put out. And even if we listen to them, go, ah, that's silly. We're not going to believe that. Our children raise up, and they hear them all the time. And before long, they just start believing these things are true. And we become desensitized to these talking points and slogans that we hear over and over and over on social media now in the news. And it desensitizes us and our children to the things of God, his kingdom, his truth, his perspective, his will, his promises to the point that we wake up one day and we're slaves. And we didn't know it. We don't know how it happened. How did this happen? How did this happen to me? How did this happen to my family? How did this happen to my school system? How did this happen to my church? How did this happen to my nation? Where's that promised land I've heard so much about? Where's the abundant life I keep hearing about and sermons preached about? Where's the peace of God? Where's freedom? Where's fulfillment? Where's purpose, calling, ministry? And we're tempted to say, I guess God's not real. I guess all that was a bunch of bunk. I guess he doesn't really love me. Rarely thinking that I have become a slave to the worldly culture and I have forfeited the promises of God in my life. That can't be an option because God loves me. Has a plan and purpose for my life. Yes, to give him glory. To give him glory. You see, culture bring something to us that we need to understand. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 7, it's just a subtle little phrase, but I think it's so significant. I'm going to do all of this so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction, distinction between Egypt and Israel. that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Could this be what's happening in our culture around the world and other nations? That we have blended into the cultures so seductively as God's children that God is moving and working and transitioning and positioning and repositioning so that there is a separation, a clear distinction between his children and the children of wrath. I don't know. But I know God wants there to be a clear distinction between the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. Egypt and Israel. After traveling to over 30 countries in my life and seeing various expressions of Christianity in many places, the greatest challenge and threat to Christianity, in my opinion, uh, and the greatest threat and challenge to the Christian worldview is not atheism, it's not Islam, it's not even paganism. It is a word called syncretism. Now that may be 
not a common word for some of you, but syncretism has a very distinct definition. The creation of a new religious system by the blending together of ideas and practices of various religions. It's the combination of different forms of belief and different forms of practice. And when I go around the world and I see and I teach and I train, I get to see people who've said yes to Christianity, but they carry just a bit of their old religious system into Christianity, that we've added enough of these things. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Yahweh. Yes to God. Yes to the Holy Spirit. But there are other things. Let's just do add a little of this and a little of that. And now we've created a Christianity that is no longer Christianity. And the reason I think it's the biggest issue is because the issue that will destroy the nation of Israel. The issue is syncretism. Once they get into their promised land and King Saul and King David and Solomon and they build the temple and they start living, it's not long before they start adding some of the foreign gods and foreign worship and idolatry to yes, God, yes, Yahweh, but also a little of this and a little of that. And God says, enough. And King Nebuchadnezzar from the Babylon, Babylonians comes and destroys the nation of Israel, burns down the temple, and Israel is no longer a nation and doesn't become a nation again until 1948. 2000, almost 2000 years later. It happens. Syncretism. What's the first commandment of all the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. And right before our eyes in our own country and our own churches, we can't see the difference between the world sometimes and Christianity, and it gets all blended up. It gets all morphed together, and we have created something that may not even be Christianity anymore. Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. But I don't really like that verse, and I don't think we should do that. Let's add a little bit from over here into that. And the tomato soup was tomato soup, but now we've added so much to it, I don't know what to call the soup anymore. It's like the old frog in the kettle. It warms up around us to the point. And the reason we know, the reason we know this was true for the Israelites, even while they were slaves in Egypt, the culture just, as Joshua follows Moses, and Joshua's giving a sermon one day, and he says to them, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in where? Egypt, and serve the Lord. You still are carrying the false gods that you had with you in Egypt. Your sons, your daughters, your granddaughters, your grandsons. Syncretism. God wants there to be a clear distinction between his children and those who are not his children and those who are under God's wrath. And it's more than just saying, I'm against this or I'm for that. It's a radical reorientation and understanding of God's kingdom agenda. And then we close with this. The eternal revelation. You say, wow, this hasn't been a very uplifting message. Hey, the eternal revelation, blood. It gets better. Blood. Why do we need blood? Because the wages of sin is death. 
And here we get into chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of people. According to each, what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish and male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Get the lamb on the 10th, kill the lamb on the 14th. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. At midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, the prisoner. doesn't matter if you're a king or a prisoner in a dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. The Passover. For the Jews, it's like our Christmas and Easter, still celebrated to this day. It may have been a surprise to the Jews that the death angel was coming to them. Of course it needs to come to the Egyptians. They've done terrible things to us. They've kept us in slavery. They are not God's people. But all of a sudden they learned that the death angel is coming to them as well. Why? Because they deserve it. The death angel was coming to the Jewish households as well as the Egyptian households because all people are under the sentence of death. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the, where do we start? The glory of God. The death angel comes to every house. It has been to mine. It has been to many of yours. You see, every funeral is a proclamation about sin. Sin brings death. Every time you see a deer or a raccoon or a squirrel dead on the side of the road, as silly as that sounds, it's a reminder of sin. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, Death came into the world. There was no death before Adam and Eve because there was no sin. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, something happened that never happened in the history of the universe. Adam and Eve sinned, and in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. For the first time in the history of the universe, something died and God killed it. Probably a lamb, it would make sense, but we don't know. And here we fast forward to the Passover. Take a lamb. Get it on the 10th of Abib, the first month. Hold it to the 14th, and on the 14th, slaughter it. And when you kill that lamb, know this. It should have been you. But God has made a substitute. And if you'll take that blood, and you'll put it on the doorpost and on the lintel, when the death angel comes, it will 
What? Pass over and you will live. No blood, you will die. Fast forward about 1,500 years from this moment. In approximately A.D. 30, Jesus, on the 10th of Abib, that's that first month, the 10th the when all of the people are now bringing their lambs into the temple to hold them for four days until they're slaughtered on the 14th day. Over on another part of town, as these sheep are coming through, probably the sheep gate, that would make sense, right? The sheep gate. All of a sudden, there's this someone, Jesus, entering the city as well on the 10th of Abib the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Are you kidding me? Do you think God knew that? I think he designed it. And then on the 14th, Thursday night, lambs are going to be killed all over that city. And Jesus is having Passover with his disciples And he said, I wanted to celebrate this Passover with you one last time. Why? Because this is going to be the last time anything ever needs to die for the sins of people again. Because on the 15th, the next day on Friday, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world is going to die. And you're never going to have to make another sacrifice again. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And as they're eating this lamb, as they're eating this meal and drinking this wine, Jesus takes a cup. And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my, say it with me, blood. Blood. Why? Because sin, something has to die. And Jesus takes this Jewish tradition of 1,500 years approximately and transforms it because God's always doing something new. And he takes this and he says this bread is my body, and this blood, this wine, this cup, is my blood. And he sets up a new memorial for us. And it is this memorial, like the Passover. The the, the Egyptians didn't take the Passover, the Jews did. I want to make a distinction between my people and not my people. And those who participate in this Lord's Supper, what? followers of Christ not the world not the pagans not the children under God's wrath family of God and if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and in some mysteriously amazing way taken his blood and put on the doorposts and lintels of your heart and received his forgiveness the supper is for you For those of you who have not done that, you're not a follower of Christ. You have a moment here where you can pray, ask him to forgive you of your sins, repent of your worldly, pagan, ungodly, die to those things and choose Christ, the Lamb. You see, the death angel is coming. He's coming to all of us. He's not looking for if you're smart or if you're dumb. He's not looking if you're tall or short or a man or a woman or young or old or rich or poor. The death angel is coming and he's looking for one thing. He's only looking for one thing. What is it? The blood. 
the blood. If you have the blood of Christ, the death angel will pass over. You may die physically, but spiritually you will rise to be with Christ forever in his heaven and in his new heaven and new earth where there'll be no more death and no deer and raccoons and squirrels laying alongside the road. Why won't there be death? Because there'll be no sin. Sin brings death. No sin, no death. The blood of Jesus cleanses you of your sins. Therefore, no spiritual death. Amen? I'm going to pray and the band is going to come and we're going to sing and you've got a little cup, I hope, as you come in, you saw these little guys. And you're just going to have a private moment. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to become a follower of Christ. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to confess some of your sins. You are not distinct. You've syncretized some of your Christianity and you are blended with the Lord's, the world so much you don't know where the Lord begins and the world begins. It's, it's messy for you. And your life certainly isn't about making Jesus known to the nations and making God receive glory in all places. You can spend some time confessing those things. And then in your own way, as you take this, you can take the bread and the cup. Let's pray. Father, we love you and bless you. Lord, we ask you to do amazing things in our life. You are God and you are good. And Lord, we are in a battle and we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. Father, as we prepare our hearts for this moment, I pray you'll be with each individual person. Bind the enemy from their mind. Do not let them be distracted in the name of Jesus. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be loosed and have full opportunity to speak into their hearts and minds clearly. And they, the deception, the shadow, the, the blindness would be removed so they could see nothing but you. And let this be a special moment for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.